0: If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're in Luke Gospel here in a sermon series entitled, The Journey uh, to the Cross. Uh, And as you look at God's Word, uh, really from start, from finish, from Genesis to Revelation, it's going to tell one story of a God who loves us and a God who rescues us. And the amazing way that He rescues us is through His own Son. And uh, through His own Son is really that journey to the cross begins in Genesis, Uh, ends in in Revelation and beyond. But we're going to take the path of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke chapter 9, we see this turning point in the Gospels. It's also in Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel of 16, and Mark's Gospel of 9. And this turning point is really answering the question, who is this Jesus? And last week, we looked at Peter, and there was this incredible confession that Peter says that you are the Christ. You are the Christ of God, or as Matthew would say, you are the son of the living God he records for us. And and there's this amazing turn. There's this pivot. Jesus had asked, hey, well, who do the crowd say I am? What are others? There's a lot of confusion. And then out of that confusion, you have this beautiful confession. And then once that confession comes out, once his disciples, and they're still going to struggle. They're still going to be kind of, moronic in some of their behavior to be honest with you we're gonna look at that next week but in the midst of this confession jesus it says literally in, in luke 9 that he sets his face toward jerusalem there's something that changes inside of him there's something that changes inside of his his ministry and his mission he says okay now that you know that i'm the christ now you had this turning point now I'm going to focus on the reality of what needs to be done in Jerusalem. Because I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to redeem lost sinners. I came to unite those who by nature are children of wrath to a holy God. And the only way I could do that is through a Roman cross. So i got to get home. i got to get there. i got to go there. So he's going to set his face. He locks in with incredible focus maybe you've had a time in your life you know i just got to really lock in on this it's got to focus well this is his ultimate purpose and he heads that way i don't know about you but uh when you're my age uh you know i've always enjoyed superheroes i've always enjoyed the stories of superheroes uh they've changed over the years have they not it's gotten a little bit different i've always found uh superhero movies movies quite entertaining um how many of you have seen the latest batman a few of you Um, all right this area some this area one all right but apparently batman has come out haven't seen it yet i've heard good things about as far as the story saying but the overarching thing that i've heard more and more about this batman does anybody know what it is it's dark it's filmed at night everything about it is dark and they're saying that you couldn't even have produced this movie a few years ago or, or maybe a decade or two ago. They didn't have the technology. It's so dark. And in the midst of that darkness, uh, we have superheroes emerging. But, you know, the ultimate one, who's so much more than a fictitious character, is Jesus. And he is the champion of light. I was thinking of my favorite. What was your favorite superhero growing up? Count of three: one, two, three. Thor? How do you not miss Thor? I wonder why Thor was your favorite. <laughs> not a bad looking dude right there. Thor. How do you get beyond that? Alright, anybody else a favorite? Crickets? No? Superman. Love Superman. But I was thinking recently, talk about a change. How do you everybody maybe my age or older or around there? How did Super, how did Clark Kent become Superman? What did he need? A phone, a phone booth. It was an amazing turnaround. He would go into a phone booth as Clark Kent. He would emerge as Superman. What an incredible thing. Can you imagine right now? He's like, well, where the heck is a phone booth? You know? I mean, he'd be running all over the place Say, well, how do I do this? You know, there's a big need out here, and i got to become Superman, but I can't find a phone booth. I uh, mean, talk about something kind of locked in time, you know. I mean, pretty soon, can you imagine our grandkids watching this? What's a phone booth? booth why would they have that thing there what in the world is happening here well in luke 9 way better than clark kent becoming superman is is a transformation that's going to happen jesus is going to be seen like he's never been seen before up until this point this is a turning point remember a turning point you are the christ if there was a turning point last week this week is the exclamation point Because last week we had Peter confess, one of his disciples, you are the Christ. Today we have his father confess. And it's so amazing. And what he's going to say is, You are my son. I mean, this is my boy. This is my chosen one. This is my son. Uh, You really need to listen to him. And it wasn't a phone booth, but what's going to happen is his three disciples, his closest three, Peter, James, and John, they go up on this mountain to pray. And as he's praying, Jesus is going to be transfigured. There's a transformation that goes on uh, before them, before their very eyes. They literally see Jesus with the veil removed, and they can see his glory. I think of my favorite, I think it's my favorite Christmas uh, song, uh, Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing. Come back up here, Wayne. No, uh, but it says this. Veiled in flesh, this is beautiful. Listen, listen to the poetry of this song. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. So when they were looking at Jesus in the manger without earth, he's veiled in flesh. I mean, he's, he's fully God, fully man. But you see, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. This is God in flesh. pleases man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, Jesus with us, right? So veiled in flesh, well, now... Jesus is going to, on this Mount of Transfiguration, the veil is going to be removed for a moment. The veil is going to be removed, and Jesus' unique identity, his glory is going to be revealed. And God the Father is going to proclaim, hey, by the way, this one and this one alone is my son. This is the exclamation point. We're on a journey to the cross. We've seen a turning point with Peter's confession. Now we get the exclamation point of the Father. Uh, And saying, this is my son. We're going to look at, as we look at God's word in Luke 9, we're going to see four things this morning. The first one is this, the unveiling of Jesus' glory. The second thing we're going to see is the unveiling of Jesus' mission. Uh, The third thing we'll see is the unveiling of Jesus' unique identity. And then lastly, interestingly, as all this is being unveiled, we're going to see the veiling of the disciples' understanding. Although the curtain's coming up and they're seeing Jesus, you're going to see these guys are still in the dark. They still don't quite know Um, more on that to come. So if you have your Bibles, turn again with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 28, right on the heels of of Peter's confession. I'm going to read right down through 45 uh, and then pick up verse 51. But let's be mindful this is God's holy and errant word. If you like to follow along with the Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew, or the words are on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Now about eight days after these sayings, remember this is a confession, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up the mountain to pray. And as he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he had done, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand the saying. It was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. I'm going to skip down to verse 51. We'll pick up the other ones next week. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing picture of your Son, our Savior Jesus. We thank you for that mount of transfiguration where those disciples, and, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to see the glimpse of who Jesus is as that veil is removed and that he remained in flesh, but as they were able to behold his glory, to see him dazzling, glory filling him and surrounding him. And God, to hear that voice come from heaven that affirms that only you can affirm, Father God, that Jesus, this is your son this is the chosen one this is the one we need to listen to and so god because we need to focus on your son because we need to hear from him because he needs to be teacher would you be a would be pleased to speak through a broken vessel like me oh god would you by the power of your spirit the preaching of your word give us ears to hear your voice the voice that that called that Jesus was your beloved one. Give us minds to understand this word. God, give us hearts that would embrace your truth. But God, be with us in a way that transforms us, that we would walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name. The things I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But God, use the good news of the gospel to make us more like your chosen one, your Son, our Savior. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I mean, that that has been always linked to this this passage of Mount of Transfiguration. They're linked together in what's called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of similarly tell the story of Jesus. And every time this story is told of Peter's confession, every time... Right on the heels of that, you get this Mount of Transfiguration. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we read through Scripture, space and time as it is important, the story is important. But when they tell you things like, it's been about eight days, pay attention, because they're linking in time one story to the other. As a matter of fact, very interesting, Matthew and Mark are going to say, it was six days that happened. Luke is going to say, well, it's about eight days. So somewhere in that realm, you have this Mount of transfiguration again you had peter's confession and now you're going to have the father's confession and oh how beautiful it was and if peter's confession was a turning point clearly unveiling jesus identity hey there's confusion some think you're elijah or john the baptist come back but we know by your grace we know that you are the messiah you're the anointed one you are the christ if that was that turning point here we get this exclamation point uh, that the son, the father will say, this is my son. So the first thing you will see is the unveiling of Jesus's glory. So Peter, James, and John, they got a unique look. By the way, these were the closest three to Jesus. He, he, he hung with 12, you know, the 12 disciples. He sent out 72. He fed the 4,000, the 5,000, the multitude. But Peter, James, and John are, are the closest three. They get... They get more access than anybody else does. I mean, this is his closest confidant. And they got a, they got a peek behind the curtain. I mean, they got to see what no one else was see will see at that time. And that was Jesus' true identity as the Son of God and Son of Man. They were able to see with their very eyes a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Now, if you've read through the Bible, if you're familiar with Bible passages, something will echo to you throughout this entire story. This whole story echoes of the Old Testament. I mean, there's images here that you can't miss. It sounds like we're at Mount Sinai. It sounds like once again on a mountain there was a cloud. It mentions the cloud three times. It it reminds us of Sinai and the voice of God coming down from heaven uh it'll also remind us that that what appears in the story is moses the lawgiver uh the you know famous lawgiver of the old testament you have elijah the famous prophet um you even have jesus's words calling them a faithless and twisted generation which is how god described the people of israel in the midst of the desert so the cool thing about this story again is it it sets itself in the god's bigger story and it echoes the old testament and it echoes the promises and the hopes of the past now being fulfilled in christ jesus it's on that mountain that cloud of glory that was covering it that you'll hear that voice just like sinai and as, as his glory is being revealed in a new way the first thing it says is his all as his, his appearance was altered in verse 29 what i love about the fact in god's wisdom He gave us four gospel accounts. I told you, the synoptic gospels, and then John of Jesus. And what they do, they give us more color. They give us more flavor. They give us a little bit more of a perspective. Let me put it this way. If we were to stand outside and we were to witness something on Sand Lake Road right after this, I bet you you could have four people looking at the same event that would give us different details. Because Chief Doyle was a police officer. He'd give us details that a police officer would see because Bill Talby is an insurance guy. He would probably think of insurance guys because Barbara doesn't miss anything. She'll probably see colors and things that others didn't. And so when you have the beauty of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you have the beauty of a little bit more. It's interesting. Matthew 17 will say, well, his face shone like the sun. All right, well, Luke, it says his face was altered. Uh, uh, in Matthew, it says his clothes were light as light. Uh, here it says they were dazzling. It's interesting. You know what Mark says? Mark says his clothes were like so bright, it was brighter than any bleach could ever get a white. Isn't that interesting? He's like, wow. I mean, I, whatever you get white with, it, it, this is whiter. So no matter what, you put these together, and you have a picture of Jesus' as glory being revealed. And seeing him like a way you never have. Jesus' appearance was altered. We see him in his glory. What flesh has veiled, he's still in the flesh, is now revealed. Like, whoa, look at him. He, he, he speaks to the wind and it stops. He can walk on water. I mean, he can fill feed a multitude with a little boy's lunch. I mean, he's able to do so many things. And now they see his glory, uh, the glory of God uh, in flesh. And then you also will see the revealing of glory. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory. So what do you have this? This is very important. You have Moses who's the lawgiver. Moses who scripture describes as a friend of God. He spoke face to face with God. Moses who was a faithful servant of God. But hit pause. He was a servant. He wasn't the son. He was important. John, the Gospel of John would say, well, the law came through Moses. But let me tell you, grace and truth comes from Jesus. I mean, That's the reality. So you have Moses appear. That's like, oh, the law of God is right there on top of the mountain. Man, this is like Sinai. Then you have Elijah appear. This is a prophet of God. I remember Elijah on a mountain. He battled the prophets of Baal. I remember the water they put on the sacrifice, the fire he called down from heaven. I remember Elijah. Yeah, here they are. So appearing in glory with Jesus. And it says in verse 32, just so we make sure we don't miss this, the disciples saw his glory. Think about that. The disciples saw his glory. Peter, James, and John, they saw it. Wow. Saw the glory of Jesus. Well, not only is his, his glory uh, being unveiled, but Jesus is uh, the unveiling of Jesus' mission in verse 31. Luke is the one who tells us more about the conversation. Matthew and Mark tells us that Moses... And, and Elijah showed up. But Luke gives us the details of what these fellows were talking about on top of the mountain. And it's very, very interesting. They say that they were talking about Jesus' departure. You read it in the translation, Jesus' departure. Now let me show you something cool about Scripture. Guess what the, the Greek word departure can be translated. Anybody know? Think of Moses. Think of what he did. Exodus. Oh, how cool is that? You got Moses and Elijah, they're talking about Jesus' exodus. And what did Moses do? Well, Moses was raised up by God to lead his people out of exodus, out of slavery of Egypt, out of bondage, right, to the promised land. What kind of exodus is Jesus going to do? He's going to lead his people, you and me, out of the bondage of sin, out of the bondage of death. He's going to lead us to the true promised land of the new heavens and new earth. So this is so cool. They're talking Exodus. Here you have Moses. He's, he's just, he's a shadow of the reality. His whole Exodus story points to the ultimate Exodus story of the Son. So that's what they were talking about. They were talking about the Exodus of Jesus leading his people out of sin and death, leading them to the promised land. But they also said they were talking about what he was about to accomplish. This is... This is fait complete. It's not possibly might accomplish what we hope he accomplishes, what we hope he gets done in Jerusalem. No, no, no. This is God's plan from eternity. He came to seek and to save the lost. What he is going to accomplish on that tree, on a different kind of hill in, in Jerusalem, uh, is going to be our salvation. Uh, what he's going to accomplish is life. Uh, what he's going to do is he's going to conquer death. So they were going to like, talk about, man, this is what you're going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Jerusalem make no doubt about it Jesus was about to accomplish salvation but how Jesus was about to accomplish accomplish salvation was mind blowing remember the disciples thought we're going to Jerusalem we're going to overthrow the Romans we're going to Jerusalem we're finally setting up shop here on earth we got this they had no idea that the exodus and the salvation he was going to do included a Roman cross he kept on telling them this is what's coming they kept on missing it. So, uh, unveiling of the mission of what he is going to accomplish. And then there's the unveiling of Jesus' unique identity. I love this. This is, no, you can't miss this. Jesus is different than anyone who ever has been or ever will be. So what does the Father say while he has Moses and he has Elijah and he has Jesus on the mountain? What is the Father going to do? he's going to single out one he's going to make sure one is above the other and he says this is my son you know what's so important about this he's saying that jesus is not one in the line of many jesus is not one in the line of many prophets that were to come jesus is not one in a line of religious people who did some really cool things he said this is my one and only begotten son of the father there's no one like him this is the eternal son of god he and I have a unique relationship. He's not one of any many. And then there's Peter. Oh, I hope you love Peter. I love him so much. What a what a Peter man. I, I so relate to this dude. He's seeing this and what does he say? He just starts talking. He has no idea what he's saying. I get that. Let me fill up the awkward space with just noise. I'm in. Hey, man, it, God, it's great that we're, gonna, we're here. This is really good. He's terrified. He's out of terror. He's saying, man, it's really, it's really good we're going to be here. Let me do this. Let me build three tabernacles, by the way. Hmm. Aren't we echoing back again to the Exodus story? Let me build three tabernacles. Let me have one for you, Jesus. We're going to have one for you, Moses. And we're going to have one for you elijah we're going to have these three tents and we're going to put them all in a line jesus we're going to put you on a platform right next to that good old man moses and right next to elijah and while he's saying this i love this he's interrupted by the father <laughs> i can just hear god the like, Father oh peter just shut up you know just just be quiet man i mean you're seeing something that's pretty darn amazing you don't even know what you're talking about right you know so let me make sure you know this one is my son don't try to put them all on the same plane inadvertently that's what peter was trying to do he was trying to put moses he was trying to put elijah all together on the same and the father says nope it's my one and only son those others are my servants and he said this is my chosen one jesus is god the father's chosen one to rescue his people And let me just say this. There's so much we could say. There's no other name under heaven whereby you may be saved. And how arrogant of a world to say we can build our own stairway to heaven. How amazingly arrogant to say that Jesus is one and then you also got to pray to the saints. How amazing to say that Jesus is the one, but there's some other things that you could do to add them up. If Jesus is Father, if the Father says Jesus is the chosen one, we got to make sure that he's our chosen one, right? I mean, by God's grace, it's him and it's him alone. There's no other way. Jesus would say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way that the Father except through me. I'm it. I'm not one of many. I'm not a prophet like the others. I am one and only. And then he says, by the way, listen to him. Now, this is so important, too. When the Father says, listen to him, we must hear the law and the prophets through Jesus. First of all, it's this. Jesus is the ultimate interpreter of the law. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he's going to go through the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. He says to the people like this, You have heard it said that you shall not murder. Here you have Jesus. Listen to him. He's the interpreter of the law. You've heard it said you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart, you've broken that commandment. You have heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you're lusting after a woman, you are breaking this law. So here you have Jesus. Listen to him because he is not only, uh, he, he's ultimately uh, grace and truth personified. He is the one who interprets the law. But there's more. Here's the beautiful thing about our Savior Jesus is not only the interpreter of the law, he's the fulfiller of the law. So beautiful. So Jesus would say, hey, by the way, same sermon. I didn't come to abolish the law, not one piece of it. I came to fulfill it. What does it mean by that? Now listen, lean into this. You can't miss this. The law's requirements from a holy God. If you want to live, this is how you live. If you don't obey the law, this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. Here are the consequences. You fulfill this, you're blessed, you break it, you die. And then that's the reality of a holy God. But listen to the beautiful thing. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. I'm going to do everything the Father has requested of a man to do. I've done it. Born as a virgin, lives that spotless life. The spotless Lamb of God fulfills the law of God. Why? So the blessings of God can come to us. But there's more. Not only did he fulfill the law, the requirements of God, and, and secured the blessings, he absorbed the wrath for breaking the law. The spotless Lamb of God becomes our sin on the cross. He absorbs the Father's wrath so that we can receive the Father's blessing. Do you know what this means? Listen to him. If Christ is your Savior because of what Jesus Christ has done, we should not fear. We obey the law now out of love. Watch this. The law of God makes no demands upon us anymore. It's our moral code. We're to live that way. The reality is, there's no condemnation anymore in Christ Jesus. There's none. We've been set free for what Christ has done. I mean, listen to him. We owe everything now to the grace of God. We follow hard after God's law because why? Because of how he loved us and what he's done for us. We're not trying to earn anything. We can never do it. But because of what Christ has done, we follow hard after him. Listen to Jesus. We must hear the prophets Through Jesus, they all pointed to him. He is the fulfilling not only of the law, he's the fulfilling of all prophecy. Uh, He is that long-awaited Messiah. He is the interpreter of prophecy. We get to the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And through all this, he says, by the way, the Christ must suffer and die. Jesus has the last word of prophecy. He's the ultimate prophet. When Jesus speaks, listen to him, the mic drops. They're very moral people that call themselves Mormons. They're very moral people that say that Jesus had a word, and then there was somebody else named Joseph Smith, who's also got a word, that they're going to add on to those words, that we listen to not only that. I was in a hotel recently. You open it up. There's the Book of Mormon. There's the Bible because of their beliefs. They're on the same plane. They're the same thing. That's not what Christians, born-again Christians, do. Jesus has the ultimate final word. He has the mic. He drops it. Nothing else needs to be said. Jesus and Jesus alone. What are you listening to that rivals what Jesus says? What are you listening to? It might be the own murmuring of your broken heart, trying to tell you that you're worthless, trying to tell you that you don't deserve God's grace and love. None of us do. Trying to tell you lies about who you are in Christ Jesus. Who are you listening to that rivals Jesus' words? I mean, nothing else. I love the reality by the way, the Father's presence was revealed three times in this cloud, and he's going to say, this is my son. And by the way, what's going to happen to the rest of them? No one else is there. Oh, who do they see? Jesus and Jesus alone. At the end of the day, there's only one crown champion. How's your bracket doing? I know that Taylor's excited that Duke has gotten to the final four. Coach Krzyzewski, 13 times in a row. But at the end of the time of the tournament, there's going to be one champion, right? Uh, They're not going to be two Um, uh, at the end of the day, there's one champion in Jesus, Jesus alone. There's only one standing, and it's him. See all things through him. Suffering precedes glory. Death has to take its place before life. See your reality through Jesus. Are you living like a slave or like a son? See your circumstances through Jesus. Are you letting your circumstances define who he is, or is he defining your circumstances? What are you putting on a pedestal that obscures your view of Jesus? Your own name, your own reputation, your own pursuits. What do you have on a pedestal above him? What needs to disappear so you can see him in him alone? The last thing that I will go into next week is the veiling of the disciples' understanding. I just want to point out what we read today. We didn't talk much about that healing. Um, but if you look closely at Luke chapter 9, it begins that the disciples were given power and authority to heal in Jesus' name. That's not a power that he gives us. That was given uniquely to his apostles. That's not normative, that we should be able to do that as well, but that power that Jesus uniquely gave to them, they were not exercising. They were faithless, it says. They were not able to cast that demon out. Um, they, they basically, they could not do what God had empowered them to do. It says in verse 45, they did not understand. Um, and it says that they were afraid to even ask. What in the world? But the reality is, we've seen a turning point. You are the Christ. We've seen the exclamation point. This is my beloved son. And we're going to see what it looks like next week of missing the point. May not be us. This is my son. The question is, is that son your Savior? The Father will say, this is my chosen one. Have you chosen to follow him, to lay your life down, pursue after him? Listen to him. What's in the playlist of your life? What's in your ears? Is it God's word, God's truth, and the reality of what God's son has done for us? May we be a people who see Jesus in Jesus alone. Amen? Let's pray. And Father God, I thank you for this incredible exclamation point. Right on the heels of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, we have the Father who clears his voice. <clears <throat> yes, he is the Christ, but let me tell you, he's more. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God, may we be a people and a church that continually listen to love and follow hard after Jesus. The one who came not only to interpret the law for us, but to fulfill it. The one who's so much better than Moses and Elijah. They were they were faithful servants in your household, the book of Hebrews tells us. But Jesus is a faithful son. And the son is the one who sets us free. May we pursue hard after him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.